Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a weekly podcast about the latest new episode of Star Trek. This week we're looking at Season 3, Episode 9 of Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firma, Part 1. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Dr. Michael Merrick. I'm the media guy. And I'm the philosophy guy, Dr. Rodney Cup. Our website is the Star Trek Academy.blogspot.com. And there you can find links to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we think you should do that. And we're also available on lots of podcast sites that you can find linked at that website. And we invite you to go back and listen to our past podcasts from earlier episodes of Discovery this season. And also, we have podcasts about the entire first season of Lower Decks. Our first order of business, as usual, is a brief description of the episode. If you haven't seen the episode yet, beware of spoilers. And uh, Rodney, you'll do it this week. All right. So we begin with a meeting between Kovic and Culber, and we learn why Giorgio is dying. Not only has she traveled through time, but she's also traveled from one dimension to another. And we find out that molecules function normally only in the time and dimension to which they belong. So consequently, according to Kovic, Giorgio is going to suffer a painful death. And he thinks the situation is hopeless, but Discovery's computer claims that a cure exists on Danis 5. Unfortunately, her odds of survival are only 5%. Saru initially declines to take her there since the entire fleet is on yellow alert thanks to the Emerald Chain, but Vance authorizes the trip. Giorgio has to be talked into going, but she does, and both she and Burnham transport to the surface, and they find themselves in an Arctic wasteland. They hike to a location indicated by the sphere data, where they encounter a man named Carl, wearing 20th century Earth garb, sitting in an Adirondack chair, smoking a cigar, and reading a newspaper. Next to him is a portal and he invites Giorgio to walk through it, though he warns her that there are other ways to die behind the door. So she walks through, and on the other side, she somehow finds herself in the mirror universe, and she is the emperor again. She's aboard the ISS Discovery and being greeted by first officer, I presume, Killy. They are traveling from Terra to the ISS Karen to christen her. Giorgio remembers that on this day, Lorca betrays her and Burnham tries to have her killed so that she can ascend to the throne. Though Killy reminds her that the penalty for treason is death, Giorgio plans to spare Burnham's life and bring her back into the fold. Burnham and Giorgio are later reunited at a party aboard Discovery, and while they talk, Giorgio recognizes one of the Kelpian servants in the room as Saru. Just as Burnham is about to have him slaughtered for speaking unbidden to an Imperial officer, Giorgio takes ownership of him. And later, when they're alone, Giorgio asks Saru why Burnham is betraying her. He tells her that they believe that she is weak and Burnham cannot love what is weak if she is to survive. Anyway, on their way to the christening, she finds Reese fighting Awoshikun. 
Uh, she's been named the security chief of the Karen, and he wants the position. And just as Owo is sitting on Rees and just pummeling his face to a bloody pulp, Burnham breaks it up so that the emperor won't be late for the christening. At the ceremony, Giorgio fends off an assassination attempt by Stamets and stabs him in the throat, killing him. Burnham leaves abruptly, but is confronted by Killy, Giorgio, and others. Giorgio tells Burnham that she knows all about the plot, and Owo disarms her. And when Giorgio tells her that she will spare her life if she confesses, Burnham replies with disgust that the emperor is growing weaker every day. She confesses to the plot and says that she would do it again and dares Giorgio to execute her. But as Giorgio sends her to the agonizer instead, she tells her, as of this moment, our future is unwritten. Let's make it count. So in another storyline, Adira finally decodes the distress signal originating in the Verubin Nebula. It's from the KSF Kiev, and it's a holographic message recorded by a Kelpian, Dr. Isa. And she says that they're stranded, but the message is over 100 years old, recorded even before the burn. They were on a mission, she says, Dr. Isa, to investigate a suspected dilithium nursery. Saru seems deeply affected by the fact that there were Kelpians aboard the ship. And he tells Stamets to try to find out what is happening aboard that ship now. And then finally, Book tells Saru that he wants to remain on Discovery and help the crew. He says he is a pilot, an engineer, and he has information. Saru asks him to crack open the field manual and learn Federation protocol first and tells him that his moment to prove himself will arrive. Okay, well, thank you. And uh, as we usually do, first we're going to look at just some of the individual elements we noticed here elements and questions. I think in this case, we're going to have quite a few. A little bit later, we'll get yep. to the, the messages and, and the philosophy and the, and the ethics as portrayed here. But I think the biggest, really the biggest question in this episode is probably whether Giorgio's experiences in the mirror universe are in some way an illusion caused by Carl, or if in some way it's a real replacement of her previous self. What the heck is going on here? I, I, think, I think there are at least two possibilities, <laughs> uh, but I'm very confused. So one possibility is that Giorgio is actually experiencing and participating in past events in the mirror universe. Okay, so that's one possibility. Okay. Um, now, if the portal had sent her there, she would be cured. Her molecules would be back in their own time and universe problem solved. But in that case, as a time traveler, shouldn't she have encountered herself there? I mean, how could she take her own place then and there? That have is confusing to me. Have you ever watched Quantum Leap? Um, I think I saw maybe the first couple episodes when it was on TV, but not really, Michael. It's a, it's a story about a guy named Sam Beckett, a scientist, and some kind of offstage guiding intelligence that's never really defined causes Sam to, quote unquote, leap into other people in the past each week. Mm. And, and the phrase is to set right what once went wrong. 
And so maybe, uh, I'm not sure I like this idea, but maybe somehow Carl caused Giorgio to leap into herself, in effect, to replace herself, uh, at least temporarily. But really, that's, I mean, Quantum Leap, I, I came to like it a lot because of very good character studies, but it's mm -hmm. not really good science fiction about time travel. And it's a little bit more fantasy storytelling than science fiction. So I hope that's not what they're doing here. Maybe it's a little bit more of an Ebenezer Scrooge story. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, and we'll get into this later. It, it, you get the sense, though, that maybe um, Giorgio is trying to set something right that went wrong. So there is that similarity there. And we'll get into that later, I'm sure. I guess my problem with that possibility, um, well, we want it to be science fiction here, not fantasy, obviously, but... Um, and I'm sure you agree with me on that. Mm -hmm. the The problem I see with this is that, so the molecules out of which her physical body is made are not where they're supposed to be. So unless she can quantum leap that body into her own past body, which seems physically impossible, I don't know how this hypothesis is going to provide a cure for her. So hopefully this ends up being more science fiction than fantasy, but that does, the quantum leap hypothesis does make some sense of this. I was thinking another possibility is that, of course, is that Giorgio is having experiences that just aren't real. I mean, maybe she's hallucinating or maybe she's on a hollow deck. This is a sort of rise of vindicto sort of situation. But of course, in that case, this isn't a cure for her. I mean, her problem isn't psychological, it's physical. And I, and I think that's that's a really a really good point. If if in fact it is some kind of illusion or something in her mind, then it's going to need a huge amount of techno babble to explain why all of a sudden she's cured. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and the questions about Carl. You know, what is Carl? He's not just a guy because he isn't regular life signs. You know, oh, right. Sphere right. Data knew that Carl was there apparently. And so maybe he's somehow in whatever he's doing, he's been providing this to people in need of redemption and providing this service for a long time, for centuries or millennia. I mean, I don't know. Right. And, and I, I agree with you. I think this is a redemption storyline and, and that's what's going on here. But as far as the nuts and bolts of it, I, my problem with it is we, in the end, I don't think right now we have a clue what, what the heck is going on here. We just yeah. don't know. And I think that's intentional. It's a two-part episode. It ended with a cliffhanger. Presumably, we'll find out more. Next, I hope so. <laughs> you know, when, the, when it's resolved, whether we'll find out all the details about who and what Carl is and all that. But there's some other items that, that, that I want to I talk about. Uh, and as long as we're talking about Carl, there is a term in Star Trek fandom. Rodney, I wonder if you've ever heard it. Yagla. Do you know what a Yagla is? I've heard it from you, Michael. Okay, okay. Yet it, another godlike alien. Yes, Yagla is yet another godlike alien. It was a term that was coined years ago because in so many Star Trek series, we've seen aliens who have incredible powers. In the original series, there, there are almost too many to mention, but Errand of Mercy with the Organians, Arena, the Empath, um, Yaglas also show up in Next Generation and and now and then in later series too. And certainly Q, you know, is right. an example of that. I read one article here the other day speculating that Carl either is Q, 
which I think is unlikely, or is somehow an embodiment of the guardian of forever hmm. from the city on the edge of forever. And I'm not sure I like either of those, either works for me, but still it kind of seems like he may be some sort of alien manifestation. And, and like I said, apparently been there for a long time because the sphere knew about it and knew about him. Much like the guardian of forever. Right. But I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm harping on this now, but you know, when the crew of the Enterprise encountered the Guardian of Forever, we were told fairly clearly what it was and what it did. We knew what was at stake when Kirk and Spock went through it. At this point, we know next to nothing about Carl. We know that he's giving Giorgio a portal with a potential cure on the other side. We don't know how it's going to work. At least I don't. I just feel like if we knew more, a little more about what was going on, we could save some of it for the next episode and maybe care more about the story. For me, I, I'm very uncomfortable with not really knowing what the heck is going on here. You know? Yeah. yeah I, I guess that's just me. A few other notes I want to mention. In the newspaper headlines, and you had to look really fast to see it. There were lots of Easter eggs. And I'm right. not going to go into detail because they've been covered well in various articles on the internet. But they include references to Giorgio dying. And he says it's tomorrow's newspaper. To the mm -hmm. Tacon Empire being destroyed by a supernova. To the USS Gentleman, which is what Scotty disappeared right. on. Quatlu's. Uh, right. Keeler's 21st Street mission, as well as the phrase, let me help. Uh, we don't usually do show notes, but I'm going to provide a link to a good article from trekcore.com that has images and does a real good job of listing what all of the, the I don't know if they're Easter eggs or in-jokes or references in that, in that newspaper might be, might be front and back. As you've said, the kind of the MacGuffin of this episode is that traveling both in time and between universes makes your molecules want to go home right and we saw this holographic representation of your a temporal warrior who traveled both forward from 2379 and also across from an alternate universe that appears to be the jj abrams timeline 2379 is the year of star trek nemesis and it's also, I think, the year before Lower Decks Season 1. Right. But he was right. wearing an early Next Generation uniform, more like the first season of Next Generation 2363. And just as a note, remember that Spock jumped both between universes and between times, and he didn't have any Your Molecules Want to Phone Home affliction, at least as, as far as we know. Hmm. So that needs to be made sense of. It would, it would help. Yeah. The Internet Movie Database for this episode gives the writing credits to to three people, to Alan B. McElroy or McElroy, based on a story he wrote, and then in addition to authors Erica Lippold and Bonyoung Kim. And there isn't much information about this Section 31 series that, that Giorgio is supposed to headline, but way back January 2019, um, it was announced that that Kim and Lippold would be the co-executive producers and showrunners 
for this spin-off series centered on Giorgio. And you and I have speculated before that that this terra firma uh, story, the whole the kind of the whole season with Giorgio and particularly terra firma is a setup for that series. And the fact that the showrunners of that series have written this episode, I think that makes that even more even more definite. So I think I, we're, 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 we're clear that, and whether she stays on Discovery for a while or whether she disappears from the Discovery season to appear in her own series, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, we noted last week when we looked at the previews that Giorgio and Burnham walking in the show bookends season one, episode one, the Vulcan Hello, went where Burnham and Giorgio Prime were walking in a very similar way in the desert, uh, even more um evidence that this is a spin-off because they definitely they did that bookend um but i also noticed that sending discovery off to danis 5 again kind of highlights and i haven't mentioned this in previous podcasts but but it seemed to me discovery isn't very central to what's going on with starfleet We've got the whole fleet gonna handle the emerald chain but discovery you go do this thing over there in, in previous episodes, we've heard about Federation diplomats doing stuff, but very few details about what's happening there. So in many ways, I think uh, Discovery is not central to everything going on with Starfleet. I also found it a little weird on, on this topic that, I, I don't know, Vance seems to me to be just a little overprotective of Discovery and its spore drive. Well, that could be. I mean, they only have and one at the moment. Yeah, but and but now that you're talking, are are you suggesting now that you're saying this, are you suggesting that maybe Vance is trying to keep Discovery at a distance for some ulterior motive or something? I, I don't know. You know, the the whole point of I mean, particularly back to season one, the whole point of of Discovery, kind of one of the selling points up front was the main character, Michael Burnham, is not gonna be the captain. You know, some of the time she's first officer, some of the time she's other stuff. So in some ways, she's kind of off to the side of the formal structure. And it almost seems to me that Discovery is that same way. And and again, it may well be we got to protect that spore drive, not not let it be risked, or we're still not sure what we make of these folks from the past. I've just noticed that often Discovery is off doing its own thing, whereas mm-hmm. possibly big things are happening in Starfleet that we're not really seeing. Well, that's, I mean, that's a bit of a mystery, yet another mystery, right? What is happening in uh, Starfleet right now while <laughs> Discovery is yeah. off doing other things? And I just remembered, you know, Discovery maybe is sort of in a situation similar to the Enterprise during the Klingon War. Starfleet had them sent away and not participating during that war to save them f- for or to keep them in reserve yeah. for some reason. That, that could well be. I hadn't thought about that, but that that could well be a, a, a strategy. And I guess you can you can. Uh, it's a judgment call. When do you put this precious asset to use? But the spore drive is not going to do Starfleet much good if they if it never gets used, unless they reproduce <laughs> it. I mean, we know up front there was a a second ship that got destroyed in the first season right. that had spore drive. Right. And, you know, it would be, in theory, it would be possible to reproduce it, but we'll see. We'll see about well, that. Discovery and Stamets, they have all the information and science that would be needed to reproduce it. And right? as long as they 
breed enough of the spores, you know, as long as they have a propagation system there so they don't run out. In theory, you could equip other ships. We don't know. Although having Stamets being the pilot, you know, that would be maybe harder to find someone else right. to do that. I don't know. So right. I have several other thoughts and I'm afraid, I'm afraid I've got to go back to, to Giorgio here. Giorgio and her redemption arc. And they make a big point in the story about in the mirror universe, it is honorable to die in battle. It's honorable to be killed by someone strong. It's honorable to kill someone strong. And did, did you notice that when Burnham is working to convince Giorgio to go to Tannis, she positions it as the honorable thing mm -hmm. to do, as an alternative approach to honor. Giorgio she does. really preconceived by how she'll die. And essentially, it seems that she wants to be honorable, to die in an honorable way based on Terran Empire terms, which means in combat or by somebody strong. But that's another bit that, that led me to believe that she is, as part of this story, coming to a new definition of what honorable was. I thought it was very touching when she said her goodbyes to Saru and Antilly on the discovery. You know, we saw the soft side of, of the emperor. Tilly hugged her, by surprise hugged her, and mm -hmm. she hugged back. Just like in season two, there was the one point that she was in the presence of the baby. And when she thought no one was looking, she had this very, oh, look at the baby expression on her face. <laughs> She's so a bit of a softy. Well, I, I've thought for a long time that she is softer than her public persona as emperor. And maybe, you know, maybe this is about, about changing that some. Just miscellaneous details that the potential of that dilithium nursery in the Verubin Nebula. Yep. I mean, that could be the key. We don't just have to reproduce the spore drive. A, a, a brand new source of dilithium could be the key to resolving the whole storyline about the fracturing of, of the Federation. If, if in fact, it really is a source of uh, a major source of dilithium. Right. Now they just have to make sure that the burn doesn't happen again. Uh, so they can safeguard that resource. One thing I noticed, we're just sort of hopping from topic to topic here. At the christening, just before Giorgio is, is about to speak, I'm sure you noticed this, we see that the Karen's mycelial son is framed by Giorgio's yeah, crown. Did you notice yeah, that? Very a, nice camera angle. Yeah, it was, it was very nice. It had to have been intentional. That was not a mistake. I'm not sure what it's supposed to suggest, though, Michael. Any thoughts about that? I hadn't thought about that, but we talked about in um, a couple of episodes ago when Saru was talking to the, the Vulcan president that we saw a sunrise and, and illuminating. Maybe right. there's a, a, you know, the, the imagery of light, a light above her head, in fact. You know, maybe there's some kind of, some ah, kind of symbolism there. I don't know. Right. Interesting. Thank you for that. At the conclusion of the Charon christening, Burnham cries out, terra firma, and of course all the audience responds. But the closed captioning said the audience responded, terra eterna. And once I saw that, I went back and listened on a later watching, and yeah, you hear it. So the prompt is terra firma, and the reply is terra eterna, which would be a Latin kind of reference right. to, to the eternal eternal empire. You have to listen yeah. really closely to hear that, and I wouldn't have noticed it unless unless I had first seen closed captioning. Right. I watch closed that, captioning to get spellings and things like that. Yeah. And and that's good to know. You know, if you ever find yourself in the mirror universe, 
you need to know these things. You, you need to know how to respond. You need to know how to fake it. Yeah. Yeah. Mira Burnham says anyone who betrays the empire deserves death. And she's apparently thinking about Giorgio as the person doing the betraying. I agree. Mira Saru says that, that Burnham and Lorca believe that Giorgio has changed and is not strong. And of course, that would have happened before in one way or the other, she leaped into herself. Maybe there was already a seed happening uh, beforehand that, uh, that things weren't going the way, the way they should. I thought it was interesting in the ceremony, they positioned Giorgio originally as a peasant girl mm -hmm. fighting Klingons. Of course, we're seeing a mythic storytelling, not, not necessarily reality, but I think a lot of people, a lot of fans had hoped that maybe Giorgio was descended from Empress Hoshi Sato. Who conquered from Enterprise. Empire, from Enterprise, who conquered okay. the um, conquered the Empire in the, the Mirror Universe episodes of, of Enterprise, yeah. And then Giorgio, Giorgio says that she has seen the future, which means she already knows what happens in a few months when the, the Prime Universe Discovery shows up and she gets hauled off to the Prime, the Prime Universe. She has seen the future. Greatness requires strength the will to do what needs to be done, and their enemies fear the future they cannot understand. Well, I, th I, I think she's saying that not just because an emperor would say that. I think she's talking mm. about the different path that she has learned about in the, the non-mirror universe. So I, again, a lot of the things she says, I think there's a lot of, lot of subtext there. I agree. I agree. And of course, the people around her don't really know what she's talking about, but she knows much more than than they do. Yeah. Well, at this point, we can uh, move on to any underlying meanings or significance, any messages the writers and producers were hoping to communicate to the audience with this episode. Do you want to get us started with this one? Yeah, I, I thought that there was a very interesting philosophical approach from from Vance. I mean, he said... A crew member is drowning. If we let her, then your crew will never look at you or the Federation the same way again, and you will never look at yourself the same way either. I mean, that's a that's a strong statement about leadership, about doing what's right. Saru kind of saw going off as a question of protocol, and no, we can't go because because of the yellow alert. But Vance saw it really as a question of leadership and ethics. And I think maybe you know what we talked about a couple of minutes ago. I think maybe that was as important to his decision to let them go as this idea of, you know, protecting the spore drive. I think it was his, his understanding of good leadership. Right. Oh, I, I agree completely. I, I think though that um, it seemed to me anyway, that Saru, well, when he says that he needs to stay with Starfleet because the fleet is at yellow alert, he uh, cites this Vulcan slogan that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. And from my reading, I think Vance, well, either he thinks that that slogan is just false. Uh, it's possible that he thinks that maybe Saru misapplied it here. I'm not sure. But to me, this slogan or axiom, whatever you want to call it, keeps taking a beating <laughs> this season. And it keeps coming up. It, it seems like a theme for this season to me. Yeah. In the original series movies, when it first comes up, Spock says, I would accept that, that, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I would accept that as an axiom, 
which mm-hmm. in, in mathematics is essentially a proposition that you just assume to be true. And then, right. and then of course, Kirk kind of refutes it and says that we've decided that the needs of the one are more important than the needs of the many. So I don't know that this is Starfleet doctrine that the needs of the many outweighs, but Saru is kind of seeing it that way. And and it's his understanding. He's kind of fixated on protocol. He talks to book about protocol mm-hmm. and yeah, that's his true. decision we can't go is a, essentially a protocol question. And this, this question of protocol, we, we're, we're just seeing it all the time this <laughs> season in Discovery and in Lower Decks. It Lower was Decks. a major, a major uh, plot point. I don't think they want us to believe that protocol is not a good idea. I don't, I don't think they want us to believe that violating protocol is the right thing to do. But maybe they want us to believe that protocol isn't everything and we need to we need to be smart about it. This story really seems to be about Giorgio coming to grips with her past. And ultimately, I think we're going to see that she admits to herself that she was wrong about some of the things she did. And as I said above, I think I think maybe she's coming to a new understanding of what is honorable. She said to Michael, she said, or she said about Michael uh, when she was talking to Tilly, she says, I know Michael, it's not too late for her to make a different choice, but she's also talking about herself there because she is in the position now of making choices about her future, her future and her future path. Uh, Giorgio said, do not confuse growth with weakness, said that killing Burnham, that's the easy way. And I know how that story ends, of course, because she's seen it. She says to, to Michael, you die, I die or both. But as of this moment, our future is unwritten. Let's make it count, shall we? And again, that's something to say to Michael, but it's also in her character development. She is mm-hmm. now in the position she has to figure out her her new path. And she takes a new path and she spares Burnham's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yep. So we're seeing some character development here. And she tells, she says, I've seen what you can be, Michael. I've seen what this world can be and it's luminous. She's pretty clearly referring to, to prime universe Burnham and, mm. and to the United Federation of planets and Starfleet as she has experienced it over on the other side. So, and, and I think looking back to season one uh, of Discovery, uh, Giorgio is clearly a different person than she was before she came to the prime timeline. It's been, it's been creeping up on us, the changes, but, but being around dis- the Discovery people, I think clearly has affected her. Yeah, I agree. I Even agree. if she hasn't been ready to admit it to herself yet. So so again, th- I think this story is clearly setting up a redemption motivation and a new view of honor for the future of her character as it spins off to a new TV series. <laughs> right. Now, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Mirror Universe. Um, I was surprised that we were going to the Mirror Universe again. And, you know, maybe viewers are wondering what the heck we're doing there. But I, I, I noticed a similarity between the Mirror Universe and the Emerald Chain. I think the prominence of the Emerald Chain this season makes this make sense. So thinking about what Osiris said in the previous episode, she said, my ancestors knew that power is virtue. You do what it takes to get what you need or you don't. And that to me seems to describe the Terran Empire as well. Yeah, that um, seems like a pretty Terran philosophy. Right. And you combine that with some of the things, well, at least one thing we see in this episode, 
that is really shocking about Burnham. Burnham tells Giorgio that during a recent uh, trip to Kepler-174D, in order to make the art produced there even more valuable, she blinded the artists and removed their hands. And this is shocking to Giorgio. Again, she's obviously surprised by this, more evidence that Giorgio is has changed. But but Burnham does this uh, apparently just to line the Empire's coffers, right? And I, I don't think the, 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 the Emerald Chain could be that brutal, but it's the same kind of philosophy, I feel like. It seems like a theme that's, that's running through here is perhaps like the brutality of unprincipled capitalism, which, which we talked about last week. So, you know, I mean, given that similarity, it kind of makes sense. We're, we're, you know, we're right where we belong here in this, in this series at this point, going back to the mirror universe, it fits. Yeah, and, and paralleling the Emerald Chain. Yeah, that's, that's right. inter- interesting, interesting view. You know, when back, uh, we weren't doing podcasts then, but back <laughs> in, in Discovery Season 2, I was speculating to myself that Giorgio wasn't really as bad as her public persona. There was that mm-hmm. scene with the baby. And, you know, when you're the emperor of an evil empire, you kind of have to act the way evil em- emperors act. And right. if she has to do that so much of the time, it may have led her in a way that maybe deep down inside she she didn't really want to be doing. But, uh, you know, I was wondering back in season two, you know, how deep down, how good a person she was. And... Um, Maybe so, and maybe there is a hint of that there. So maybe we're not just completely uh, seeing a reversal of her personality, but something that has been buried down because it was, it was inconvenient that is coming to the surface. Right, and it's important that they make this believable, and and I think so far they've been they've done that. I mean, I I'm not finding. I'm not having to suspend any disbelief about what's happening here. It does make sense. And the irony here is that Giorgio now finds herself in the position Burnham was in, in season one, doesn't she? I mean, she's having to act like a Terran while in her heart, she's not really Terran at all, which is kind of interesting. Not anymore. Yeah. 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 So there's that interesting parallel and, and that made connect into the parallel of the walking on the snow and walking in the desert, those scenes. So, yeah, we're, I mean, yeah, the willing suspension of disbelief, the whole Carl problem. I hope that they give us a solution that works. Fingers Um, crossed. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see about that. But uh, you know, we're, we're halfway through the story and there are a lot of threads and there's a lot of, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we're halfway through the two-part episode, and and so we will we will see. Right. I'm hoping we see Jason Isaacs next week, though. I don't know how likely that is. In the first season, they very well kept it secret. Not, not that he was going to be in, but what happens to him right. uh, at the end. They very well kept that, kept that secret, and so they're capable of doing that. Well, we, we shall see. We shall. Um, but for the moment... I guess that's the episode. So next week, uh, obviously, we're moving on to Terra Firma Part Two, and after that, three episodes. Yeah. So they gotta uh, they gotta be bringing some resolution to some of these plot threads pretty soon. I hope. Right. I believe they will. Uh, I hope they do. But that having been said, we want to thank you for joining us this week. 
the Star Trek Academy podcasts about every new Star Trek episode of every series. And you can find us at the Star Trek Academy.blogspot.com. And that site also has links to several platforms for your podcast app. So we look forward to seeing you next week for part two of Terra Firma. <laughs>